From Nevada Public Radio, I'm Joe Shane, and it's State of Nevada. Most people already know this from the news or just from talking to neighbors. Clark County School District Superintendent Jesus Jara has resigned pending school board approval of his conditions. Those conditions? A year's salary and benefits. Lots of people are saying that amounts to pay me to go away. The Clark County School District Board will meet tomorrow to decide and make a decision on this. But will it be that hard? Because the school district, the fifth largest in the country, has long suffered from <clears throat> excuse me, underfunding, understaffing, and underperformance. For a few years now, many have called for new leadership. The board even fired Jara a few years ago, then rescinded after being threatened with a lawsuit. So what is going on, and why is this happening now, and what can we maybe expect from this board? Rocio Hernandez is following the story for the Nevada Independent. Rocio, welcome back. Hey, good to be here. It's great to have you. So Jesus Jara submitted this letter to the board last week requesting that the trustees let him out of his contract with this sizable severance. What did he ask for specifically in full? So in his letter, you know, and he doesn't state really what is behind this resignation, but he's looking to change a couple of things from his most recent contract version. Um, So it would give him the right to give them a seven day notice because this came all of a sudden out of almost nowhere. Um, So his original contract language had said that he needed to give a 90 day notice if he was leaving. This brings it down just to seven day notice. Um, but the big thing that it's, is on everyone's minds is the payout that he's asking for. He's looking for a severance package that would equal one year's worth of his salary. Um, and he got a raise in 2022. So that brought up his salary to about $400,000. And that would be in addition to any unpaid, um, unused like time off that he has. The teachers union um, estimates that that means that he'll have a payout equal of uh, $500,000. Wow. You know, just the the rank and file throughout Las Vegas, you could hear this over the weekend. People are saying, gosh, I, I wish I could quit my job and get paid to quit my job. But is this that unusual for superintendents? So I think it depends on the manner in which the the superintendent is leaving their district. Um, In Douglas County last year, we saw that the superintendent decided to resign after months of tensions with his school board. Um, It was newly elected trustees. They weren't getting along with him. And, you know, he decided that it'd be best to part ways. And I think there, you know, the dynamic of that separation was set up for him to ask for more pay because the board did want him out. They wanted someone new leadership who could agree more with their ideologies. And so in that case, they did give him about seven more months worth of pay. Um, But most recently, we also saw that Washoe County Superintendent Susan Enfield decided to resign less than two years after she was hired. Um, She gave in her standard 90-day-ish notice, um, and she's not leaving with the kind of package that we're seeing, Jara, with just your standard, you know, getting paid for any unused time off that she's got. The fact that he's resigning, he's not getting fired. Is this are, are, is this happening around the country? Are we seeing superintendents resign like this more often? So I noted in my story, this is the fifth superintendent in Nevada that we've seen leave. I think this just this school year alone. Um, so some, uh, you know, the difference, the 
the situations are different from superintendent to superintendent. Enfield, uh, like Jara, hasn't really stated why she's left. Um, so that's kind of a mystery. A couple of other superintendents, you know, they've been around for a while now and they're looking to resign. So you'll see those um, or retire. Sorry. So those are a little bit more standard. Mm-hmm. Um, throughout the pandemic, there was a big increase in superintendent t- turnover. And since then, I think that trend has continued where I think you will see superintendents either you know, they retired out from the pandemic or just the demands of the job had be- have gotten a lot more hostile since the pandemic. You know, we've made requests to talk to the superintendent. Have you been able to talk to him? I, none of us have been able to hear back from him. Um, the board put out one statement along with uh, Jara's resignation letter that kind of stated that this is mutually to their benefit, that the district is set up to start a new five-year strategic plan. So this kind of separation at this time kind of seems like a clean break for them. But other than that, we really haven't heard from the district, from the board, from Jara himself. It's been silent. I'm just going through some of the things, though, that he has been through. He's been here almost six years. In June, it will have been six years since he was hired. Um, he went through this tough fight over teacher pay more than a year ago. Actually, it was, I think, three years ago. The school board fired him, then again rescinded that firing after he threatened a lawsuit. He went through these really tough times during the pandemic and this when the school board meetings became screaming sessions. He's gone through a lot. I, I mean, I, I just now is sort of a, a period of quiet. The teacher negotiations are done. They are fully funded, it feels like, for at least the next year and a half. Uh, is there speculation about why he wants to leave? Lots of speculation, all not certain if they are true or not. I mean, the district, as you mentioned, has, his tenure has been tumultuous, right? Mm-hmm. But just last year, I remember um, there was news that he was being considered for a superintendent job in Florida. And he adamantly told the, the media that he was not, he had already turned down, you know, he told him, thank you, I appreciate the consideration, but I'm interested in staying here. So it's, you know, it's different to see him reverse like this, um, you know, and throughout the contract battle, um, teachers union, um, even Democrats, Speaker Steve Yeager have been calling for him to resign. And, you know, he's all, always said that he wants to stay on the job. So it, like I said, it's a reversal to see him do this now. Um, you mentioned that, um, you know, it's it is quiet in terms of the contracts over the legislative session is done with. Um, but there's still a lot going on in the district. We still um, it's been months since there was a cyber attack. We still don't know anything about that. That's also something that he's been criticized for. You know, he was criticized for the contract battle and just how long that dragged out and potentially how many teachers resigned during that time because of uncertainty. Um, And most recently, you know, we've seen on the news that there's this sort of like probe into the district's use of ESSER dollars. That's also, you know, probably weighing something on this. Um, And the teachers union themselves um, has asked the court to ask CCSD to turn over social media uh, records from the superintendent over an alleged post that was made out of the superintendent's account. So there's all these scandals brewing around, but no one really knows if that's what's fed into his resignation decision or not. Yeah, I mean, who would want to be at the center of all that stuff? As you mentioned, the the union wants the board to fire uh, Jara. They think there's a scandal brewing related to uh, the use of social media there's also the thing having to do with this. I think it's a federal investigation now into the use of you, you mentioned the type of fund funds to send staff to vacation spots to recruit teachers. Can you explain that whole thing? 
So I, I just talked to the state superintendent of public instruction about it. She kind of said it was a, a right now at this stage, it's more of a probe to look into how, what are the allowable uses of those ESSER dollars. And these were funds that were appropriated from the federal government dur- during the COVID pandemic. And they were supposed to be used for, you know, purposes of, um, of improving student learning, that, you know, academic recovery sort of thing during the pandemic. Um, so there there was a lot of leeway for school districts on how they could spend this money during this time. So right now that's what they're looking into. You know, what? how did the school district use it and was it an allowable expense? Um, but I think in terms of its contract, the original, the, the language that's in place right now kind of states that if Jara was under some sort of investigation, then he wouldn't really receive um, oh. some sort of severance package. But I think the question that remains here is, will this probe right now develop into an investigation and would it qualify as oh. something that would cancel out his severance package? Because I think it would, ha- it would, you know, it'd be up to the definition. Definition is the invest- of a probe versus an investigation. And also, is it an investigation against Jara himself or is it an investigation on the district as a whole? All this stuff. Could the board just fire him? The board could fire him, um, but there is a clause that says that if Jara is terminated out of convenience, then I think the board would have to pay him his full salary uh, for the full term of the contract agreement, and his term doesn't end until 2026. Does his contract say anything about a severance if he resigns? Originally, it wasn't supposed to be this way. Um, the contract that he has in place right now, um, kind of like what we talked about with Enfield, you know, he would get his pay up until his last day and any unused time off. And so his letter um, in his resignation letter, you'll notice that he says that um, this resignation is contingent on uh, a a third amendment to the contract agreement. And that's where he kind of spells out that he wants that one year's worth of salary. When was that amendment made? That amendment will be voted on on Wednesday, along with his resignation. So uh, they approve the amendment, then they allow this. Exactly. If that's the way it actually happens. Um, yeah, if the board does pay him severance, and then later it turns out that it's a federal investigation, do you know if that money that they would give him would have to be paid back? I don't see anything in the board ling- the the contract language that says that. I think if the board wanted to do that, I would have to craft a new version of the of the contract that spells that out specifically. You, you, you've covered the school board for a while. Has any, I mean, we went through the pandemic. You saw the screaming at those school board meetings. Has anything been this, it sounds kind of convoluted, all of this. Have you ever covered anything like this in, the, in related to schools that feels this way? Uh, like I mentioned, just last year, there was um, in Douglas County, it was highly contentious. Um, in that community, the the community wanted to keep their superintendent, but there was just so much tension between the board and the superintendent that it just didn't make sense for him to stay for his own you know, personal benefits. I think school boards and superintendents, all of that has just become so contentious, especially since the pandemic. Um, I think there's a lot of you know, concerns around the community that's been fueled, you know, some of these culture wars that are coming into politics, bleeding into school boards. So it is a difficult time to be in this kind and these kinds of positions. There are also uh, stories and perhaps I think I think it was in your story that I read this, that some state legislative leaders are perhaps going to draft a bill that would 
address certain qualifications that potential school board members would have to have in order to be elected to that position? Yeah, that's something that the Clark County Education Association, the Teachers Union, had advocated for in their press conference last week. You know, they kind of said that there should be minimum qualifications for superintendents so we can kind of standardize who's leading our school districts, you know, to improve that quality of education that we're getting. So on top of his resignation, the board is going to discuss and possibly vote to appoint the district's deputy superintendent as the new superintendent. Her name is Brenda Larson Mitchell. Does this mean Larson Mitchell would be interim or permanent? So in the agenda, um, it, it just states that the board is going to appoint a superintendent. There's no you know, indication whether it would be an interim appointment or if it would be a permanent appointment. And we've contacted and reached out to the district and the board several times, and we don't have that answer. But what I will say is that this wouldn't be the first time that the school board has opted to uh, skip a national search and just appoint from within. Um, they did that with the former superintendent, and I hope I'm not messing up his last name, Pat Skorkowski. Skorkowski, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there is a history of doing that in the past, but I think generally what you see in a large school district the size of Clark County is that they'll do these big national searches. They'll bring in finalists. Um, the public gets to meet these finalists, you know, gets to see their resumes, gets to um, hear the board interview them, and then the board will vote for a candidate and decide to offer them the the job and then draft out a contract with them. And I am wondering what parents think about that. And one person who hears a lot of the talk from parents is Rebecca Dirks-Garcia. She's a board member of the State Parent Teachers Association. She also runs a very popular Facebook page for parents called CCSD Parents. Rebecca, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me. So uh, what do parents, uh, I'm just going to start with that. What do parents think about appointing the deputy superintendent to be the permanent superintendent? You know, it's interesting when I've come on before and uh, speak about what parents think. Normally, I'm adding a caveat that there's too many parents for any of them to think the same way. But this time, it's been pretty universal that there is a lot of pushback on the idea of just going forward with an appointment without any community input, especially on such a short timeline. I think what Rocio said is really important to recognize. This is basically seven days of consideration, not a 90-day, not a planned retirement like when Swarkowski came in. That was, well, different circumstances, but there was more time to adjust to it. And so I think parents are really looking at this and saying, why is this going so fast? And the parents who are frustrated with how Dr. Jara has run the district also recognize that Dr. Larson Mitchell is very aligned with Dr. Jara. And in a lot of cases, the policies and processes that the district has been moving forward with, she's been spearheading those. So there's a question of two things. One, is this the right move from being transparent and open about the process to hire a new superintendent? And then if people aren't happy with how Dr. Jara has been running the district, is his deputy the best choice to move forward? So are they saying it should be an outsider? Interestingly enough, we did a poll in CCSD Parents yesterday asking one of the questions was whether people wanted an internal candidate or an external candidate. And I really thought it would be a pretty even split. That was my gut feeling. Mm -hmm. And instead, very few people are indicating that they want an internal candidate. It is overwhelmingly 
the responses that they want an external candidate and a fresh face. That's interesting because during Jara's tenure, people have said, well, the problems are because he's an outsider. Yeah, it's it's always interesting. I've been a CCSD parent for 18 years now. Um, my oldest child graduated in 2013. And so I've been around for more than one superintendent change. And it is interesting how short sometimes people's memory is um, about the frustrations. But at the same time, I also see where people are coming from that, you know, th- this has been, regardless of Dr. Jara as a leader, the district has been through so much in the last five, mm-hmm. six years Absolutely. that a lot of people are saying, you know, we need somebody new to come in and take a look and see where yeah, we want to move it, it forward. In his defense, <clears throat> excuse me, he, he doesn't need me to defend him, but with all the things that did happen, and most notably the, the pandemic, could anybody have done that job? I mean, look at the the five people within the last school year that Rocio was talking about, five superintendents that have quit. The the pressure on um, the election departments in the various counties here. Do you think anybody could have done that job well? I can say that I don't envy anyone who wants to take the job as superintendent in our school district. Um, I think that there are definite things, especially in the last two years, that Dr. Jara really pulled away from the community, in my opinion, and made it harder to be engaged in the process. And that really, regardless of how he wanted to move forward, made people feel like they weren't a part of the process. And so it's definitely not a job for the faint of heart. Um, And CCSD always seems to have challenges. But at the same time, I think the question is, you know, where do we look next for somebody who has the right set of skills when we're such a unique district and there's very few that are even close to the size that we are? Mm -hmm. So in the sense of it's not something that you just post an ad and suddenly have a whole bunch of people who are qualified for. It's a pretty small candidate pool. And I think that's one of the challenges, too, as we look forward. I'm also assuming that most parents don't agree that he should be paid to resign. Or are people saying, yeah, pay him. Let's just let's just uh, get him out of here. No, the two universal pieces of feedback from parents have been absolutely. Why are we paying him to leave? And second of all, why is this such a quick appointment of a new person without any community chance to participate in the process? And then the idea, as Rocio was running through earlier, you know, there's three agenda items at the work session. The first is to consider his conditional resignation with this amendment that he wants, which would essentially give him almost half a million dollars. The second, to terminate with convenience, his contract doesn't end until June 2026. So that's almost a million dollars once you potentially add in all the parts and pieces. And so universally, parents are saying, why in the world, when it has been a tumultuous tenure, when there isn't community support, would we accept a resignation and provide a payout? Why do you think the school board won't fire him? Well, his contract is, you know, there's there's several different elements to his contract as to if it's for convenience, it's this. If it's for cause, it's this. And what determines cause? I see. And so I think the school board, again, you know, this also isn't the first time we've had the is he or isn't he staying challenge. And so I think we're looking at a school board that's also divided. 
So as a parent, um, as a volunteer, you're with a PTA, what do you want to see in the new CCSD leadership? I think for me, we have to focus on what's best for kids. And everybody says that that's what they want. Everybody says that we're focused on kids. But at the end of the day, a lot of times decisions are made on what works for the adults in the room, what works for the employees, instead of what is best for students. And we are at a unique point because for the first time in decades, we actually have sufficient funding to start trying to move the needle for our kids, to start getting the resources our kids have needed for years and we didn't have the money. And so that is one thing that I hope will be appealing to a new superintendent is that the legislature has actually provided funding that we can make changes. We can try to move the district forward in a positive way. We're not the lowest funded in the nation anymore, so to speak. So it's finding somebody who's going to be laser focused on that, but is also really willing to build bridges in the community and keep those bridges. Because I think Dr. Jara tried really hard when he first got here to make those bridges. But in the since the pandemic, those ties seem to really shut down. And that's when things started to fall apart, in my opinion. Ultimately, do you think his uh, the job that he did is related to the state's perennial underfunding of education? Yes, we, the legislature did a lot this, this session, but there's no guarantee that sales taxes, which are the thing that fund most of our state uh, governments and, and state positions, that that is going to be maintained. We've had, you know, there was a huge boost in action on the Las Vegas Strip in purchasing, which boosts the state coffers. Who knows if that's going to continue? We don't have a reliable tax base. But I wonder if if you think ultimately anybody who comes in here is bound to fail because of the funding, uh, the, the way it's funded. I don't know if it's a universal statement in that way, but it's definitely a challenge any superintendent needs to be mindful of. The superintendent also needs to recognize that they need to work with the legislature. And not all states are set up that way for individual districts to have relationships with the legislature. But we're such a small, quirky state that those relationships are really important for continuation of funding and trust that the district's going to be spending whatever money is allocated appropriately. And so that is, I think, what's unique. We're not just looking for a educational leader, but we're looking for somebody who can lead a system and a government system within Nevada's unique political structure. And A lot of times you get a superintendent who maybe knows the education part but doesn't understand either our state or that piece of working with the legislature and funding and all those other things. And so I think that's one of the things that makes this search particularly complicated, Um, not just that we're one of the largest districts and have some of the highest need students, um, which really presents some unique challenges as well. I mean, the superintendent you're saying basically has to be a really good lobbyist. <laughs> he has to be, he has to make friends quickly. Yeah, 
He does. And I think some superintendents, like I said, if they come from being just an educational leader, don't recognize how vital that is. And obviously, we saw it play out with um, the speaker calling for Jara's resignation and others. And so if those relationships aren't made and they aren't strong, it impacts our district. And at the end of the day, every time there's a search, it is a delay in creating the best possible services for our kids. And it puts the district into this kind of temporary spot where you're like, okay, who's staying, who's going, which members of the senior leadership at the district are going to, you know, retire or move, which principals are going to change. And while some people don't think that impacts kids directly, having seen this transition multiple times now, it absolutely does. But it also is really important that the district picks a good choice because we don't want to go down the line of getting stuck in a high turnover again. And we will find out more about what the school district, the board, does tomorrow. I want to thank Rebecca Darks, sorry, Rebecca Darks-Garcia of the Nevada PTA, Rocio Hernandez of the Nevada Independent,